Welcome, everybody. The Christian Marauder here. I have a very special guest here. He's been here before, Dr. Judd Burton. Welcome, Judd. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you back here. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Judge Burton is a historian, anthropologist, and speaker and author of over 18 books like Nephilim Dossier, Religion of the Ancient City of Pan, Interview with the Giants, a whole bunch of other books like Witchcraft and the Book of the Gray, and uh, taught in several colleges in Texas for over 20 years. He's the director of the Institute of Biblical anthropology right now currently involved in several other works on on the way right now so what i was thinking tonight judd is to kind of do this kind of an open type um free flow exchange of ideas here try because there's so much stuff going on in the world that i don't even know where to begin because yeah. things are getting really out of hand and the occult world is getting far more blatant in its uh works its use of words uh, we hear it in advertising, we even hear it in churches and church music, we even hear the, the symbols that are being used, and it is becoming very prevalent, so I just kind of opened this up here today. For those of you who don't uh, kind of keep up on this stuff, there's a, a new thing that happened this, this past December, it was the conjunction of, of, of Saturn and Jupiter which was the age of Aquarius, according to some of their lore began. And the age of Aquarius is a time marked by excelling communication and to bring, uh, make it simple, a Christ consciousness in the whole humanity to teach humanity to become into this Alice Bailey world of oneness. That's the only way I can put it. And so that's what we're seeing right now. And then I was looking and we can just take off here is we see that in facebook's meta you know they have that meta symbol the affinity symbol or the sideways eight which when i did my research i kept coming back to the affinity symbol attached to the satan's cross which involves an age of communication no matter where i sliced or diced it i kept coming back to the age of aquarius where the world elites want to take us they are very bold about it. Now they want to do the metaverse world where they put these 3D goggles on and you live in the matrix, I guess. Well, let's just jump off. And what do you see about all that? Well, you know, it, it's, I mean, we call it the new world order, but it's not really new, is it? it mm. It's, it's Babel, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pre-Babel, you know, Luciferian cultural engineering basically is, is what they you know, what they want to bring back, you know, under, uh, under the new Nimrod, you know, Nimrod being a, a sort of, you know, predecessor, or, or at least an archetype for the Antichrist, because the, there was that sense of, uh, you know, there were, it's probably more accurate to say, just looking at it in terms of historical linguistics, particularly if you're looking at Proto-Indo-European languages that at that time, you know, people in that part of the world really did speak one language. You know, they spoke mutually intelligible dialects of the same Proto-Indo-European mother tongue, from what I can tell. And those of us who are familiar with the Genesis narrative know that that was disrupted because it was ease of communication. Whereas that language functioned for that unity at the time, we have things like the Internet. You know, we're using ones and zeros now. To basically create that that same kind of pre-Tower of Babel oneness, 
you know, I can't look at world events on my news ticker without sort of plugging it back into the, the biblical machine, if you will. I think if we don't do that, we, we end up being, we end up being pharisaical in a way because, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, they're, they're like the annoying students, you know, the, that were heckling you with, with not necessarily relevant questions, but Jesus always made relevant teaching points uh, through all their heckling. And, and, you know, he charged them for, he's like, look, you guys can tell me when it's going to rain, but you're completely blind to what's going on around you. you you can't read the signs of the times you can read the signs of weather but you can't read the signs of the times um, and i think that that should give us pause you know to not just not just logically pay more attention and critically think about what's going on in our world but to prayerfully think about those kinds of things for for discernment even if we are living in prophetic times and i think that we are you know i i think if you look at things at the end of the day, if you're a serious student of the Bible, I think you at least have to say that we're in a kind of time of Jacob's trouble. I, th- I think that that's, that's a pretty sound place to plant your prophetic flag in, in, the, in these particular days. Now, the thing that I'm encouraged about with biblical prophecy is that in a lot of current events is that the precedent and all, all manner of biblical prophecy is that God always allows the potential for a respite. Mm-hmm. Not, that the, not, not that he doesn't completely fulfill the prophecy, but he, he does always allow an outlet for the, for the cessation of, of suffering and hardship. But it's, it's predicated on a return to God and a repentance, uh, really a, a, a social or national repentance if you will uh and then and then there's a period of restoration and i think that that's applicable if it's applicable to every aspect of biblical prophecy everywhere else in the bible then i think that it's 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 safe to say that it's applicable for end times prophecy too because it's it's a challenge to to even build a chronology you know of it's such a debated thing um and, and we're not necessarily called to to build a detailed chronology, but, you know, like Jesus chiding the Pharisees, we, we are supposed to be aware of the times that we're in. And those have all kinds of ramifications for not only our awareness and our inter- interaction with people, uh, our walk, but our, our testimony and our, our ministry to uh, other peoples, our, our not, not just our fellow brothers and sisters in the church, but, but our fellow human beings as well. So this is, it, yes, it's a difficult time. You know, I'm looking at this as a historian as well. Uh, and there are events that are transpiring, things that are taking hold uh, that, that historically don't bode well for the longevity of civilizations. And we seem to be checking off, you know, some of those things in record time uh, these days. And I think, uh, you know, having been involved in, in education from, from K-12 all the way through higher education, you know, for over 20 years, I, I, it, I, I've watched the history curriculum just become uh, postmodernized, um, uh, just e- eroded from any sort of uh, objective perspective on history. Yeah, I used to tell my students, you know, you have to take the good, the bad, and the ugly with history, the triumph, 
-hmm. and tragedy, the virtue and the vice, or else you don't get a, a holistic perspective. But now it's all about politicizing the narrative. Uh, it's about weaponizing the narrative, narrative for propagandized political uh, means. It's really, really quite nefarious. And I think if if we had stayed with a curriculum that was still rooted in classical pedagogy, more people would be aware of these kinds of, of markers that that indicate whether a civilization is going to do well or not, you know, with regard to every cultural institution that they have, whether that's economics, politics, religion, uh, you name it, the we're, we're looking at at. At a, at a rather dire situation, but as I say, it's also an opportunity. So I, I'm I'm cautious and hopeful uh, at at the same time in in the the times that we find ourselves in. I'm looking at the same thing. You know, I'm a student of history. I've been a student of history almost all my life, and so I see all the patterns and stuff. And yeah, God always gives a respite. He always does a call of repentance. So I look at the Book of Revelations, chapter to see two and three about the seven churches he's doing that last call i call it mm -hmm. the last call in those in that time period and we don't know if we're actually there yet but all indicators that we are very close if we mm -hmm. don't turn it around and take this respite serious and with the renewal at the at the end of the tunnel i, I don't see how we can't proceed toward you know yeah. the tribulation period and where I see a lot of this is coming into is a lot of different people are, are, are redefining the respite period to fit their narrative of, of what it means and stuff. And so you have one group saying this, another group saying that, and we're, you know, one group is saying, yeah, it's a respite. We're going to take over the government, you know, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The seven mountain mandate people coming in. And then you have another group of people saying, no, it's all going to be signs and wonders. Well, you know, uh, I did some digging in there and I figured that, you know, Matthew chapter 25, which is an extension of Matthew chapter 24, there really should, should be just one long chapter in my opinion, but it, it goes in there, it talks about the parable of the bridesmaids or the, or the bird, 10 virgins, five wise, five mm -hmm. foolish. In the verses there, I think, I don't know if it's verse nine or whatever, it, it says that there was a call that goes out at midnight, you know, go out to meet the bridegroom. So, so evidently there's some call that goes out and it kind of gives you a warning. And the wise had their oil and their, and their lamps and their reservoir. And they were ready to go. And the foolish said, we don't have any oil, you give it to us. And the wise were wise enough to know that they have to go back to the buyers and sellers. And their buyers and sellers uh, been been giving them a raw deal so you go back mm -hmm. to them and so they went out on the dark road i think the church in that renewal period was asked to be going out in a very dark period and i always find it interesting and maybe you can enlighten us a little bit more but when i study the world of the occult the third watch of the night which would probably correlate just for simplicity's sake would be um 12 midnight to 3 a.m which is the witch witching hour <laughs> mm -hmm. when they do most of their spell casting so i thought that was an interesting correlation that jesus applied there especially it was prevalent in the ancient world with moloch and and all the ancient rites they practice and now modern uh, witchcraft that goes out can't remember the crowd i know it was alistair crowley's crowd in england that gathered around and did their witching hour 
to curse mm-hmm. the Nazis or something. Mm-hmm. And um, was just an example of that they do a lot of spell casting at that hour. And then Jesus says at midnight, and then that would be the third watch, in the darkest of dark, when the occult world is, is gaining its ascendancy, it's it's almost reaching its its point to bring out, bring forth the new Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And um, and they use uh, they're going to use Nimrod's breath, you know, just one whiff, and we're all going to die. So you're going to have to take this magic potion, mm-hmm. and and you know it's not very effective, like any magic potion. So you got to keep taking more magic potion, and <laughs> and we're going to use this Nimrod's breath in order to bring forth Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we can't even say some things now without being censored. And so that's kind of what I see. Yeah. And people are, are seeing it. And it kind of goes back to the idea we're getting back to the world of the Nephilim that we're all in one language mm-hmm. and the age of Aquarius is talking about going back to that new golden dawn where we come back to the new age of Aquarius of communication where you actually brainwash. I mean, I should not brainwash, initiate mm-hmm. cult form of initiation through words mm-hmm. and so we have wokeism we have all this going on and people don't know how to answer it because this is a cultic do you have any insights on that or just take off <laughs> yeah you know um language is culture you know words are culture you know they're, they're the shorthand of a culture's ideation the the nuances and inter- interchangeability the the very livelihood uh, of words in the languages of the world demonstrate uh, uh, history and value and tradition and uh, just every imaginable component of the society human societies of the world and of course the Bible repeatedly tells us how important that words are you know. God spoke creation into being. So right from the beginning, we have the biggest precedent of how powerful words are. And that continues on through, you know, the actual process of of the revelation of the scriptures. Um, The psalmists and the proverb writers both allude to repeatedly, albeit in lyrical and poetic fashion, but they allude to, to the the power of life and death being in the tongue and uh, the, the, the words are, are they're uplifting and, and they can also tear down and they're, they're, they're healing and they're also weapons. And so, I mean, it's not hyperbolic to say that words are everything just in terms of, of, of culture uh, and their impact. And I firmly believe that we're looking at a kind of widespread witchcraft or or to use the new testament greek term pharmakeia uh, that's being used now and it's ensconced in words and the manipulation of words and for for those in your audience who are familiar with george orwell uh, in 1984 i think he does a really good job of how of illustrating how propagandists and and draconian regimes utilize language, either building it up or in the case of 1984, tearing it down uh, uh, for their own purposes to try and uh, control large, large groups of people. And although he's doing it, you know, Orwell in his mind is not talking about um, witchcraft, 
that we're talking about really two sides of the the same coin the the obverse and the reverse and when you consider that that uh, so much ritual is rooted in the formulaic delivery of words uh in terms of the you know that that's a perennial in in, in the occult basically whatever tradition you're talking about whether it's you know kitchen witchery or druidism or 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 thaumaturgy or whatever or kabbalah or whatever uh, you're going to find that use use of words the converse element to all that and of course the more powerful element and usage of words for believers uh comes in the form of of prayer but also the authoritative use of scripture and so it can't be overstated, I think, how important language is to understanding not only what's happened just in terms of the history of languages and and how languages were split in the Bible and why they were split. Um, it wasn't natural linguistics. It wasn't a, something that you don't see in the natural course of the splitting of language, but it was something that God initiated because people were easily controlled uh, by this, the first the, the first world order, you know, the, the, the empire under Nimrod, uh, which is, you know, while well, we said, you know, off camera, I said that there's really no new world order. It's, it's really the old, old world order uh, that was established even before Nimrod comes on the scene. Uh, earlier this year, I wrote a paper called uh, The War of the Words uh, that looks at the um, one particular way that the watchers and the pre-flood and early post-flood giants manipulated human culture and you know for the for those of the in the audience who have read apocryphal material and know about the the sons of god uh and the giants in the biblical narrative uh it's pretty clear uh that they were cultural engineers that they they changed the trajectory of, of of human cultural history and manipulated a, a lot of institutions for their own ends. And the, the idea, the concept that I zeroed in on in this paper uh, was the concept of a king or ruler uh, being related to a string of words from the Proto-Semitic and ancient Semitic worlds, Rephaim, Rava'umi from the Ugaritic material and Rava and Apsu from the Mesopotamian material. and I wanted to see because it was so close to the Transcaucasus region, which was the the homeland of the aforementioned Proto-Indo-European language family. I wanted to see how many languages in Europe and Asia may have been impacted by this wording, this shared cognate, and how many how many words for king or ruler might occur with that initial R vowel morpheme at the beginning of, of you know that first syllable and you know i found dozens uh close to 80 just in the cursory example of these words that start with this initial r vowel sound you know everything from like rex in uh latin for king and rajan in sanskrit and ray in uh in spanish and roy in French and Cree and the uh, Gaelic tongue or Celtic tongues like Gaelic and Manx, uh, just all over the Eurasian continent, you would find variations on this theme. Now, a handful of those would be interesting, but 
the numbers that I began to wade into started to become very compelling that there might be this connection and could very well be a demonstrable connection between the influence of the watchers and the giants in the, the early period, the, the pre-flood and the early post-flood period on developing this one concept. And just like the demonic does, it takes what God presents and turns it on its head. It makes a shadowy, dark reflection, an opposite of that. Uh, and so God, who was Yahweh, who was the, uh, the good, just, virtuous uh, king of everything, the Lord of Lords, there's a, that's a political scenario there. There, there's a political culture in heaven and we're seeing it's a monarchy but it's it's the ideal monarchy it goes far beyond the forms of uh, ideal forms that plato talked about in all his rigmarole and so the watchers and the giants take this and turn it on its head instead of the good just patient kind king the rulers of these city states become autocratic despots out for their own their own gain over everything else and in the history of civilizations in the world this theocratic monarchy this absolutist tyrannical form of of rule has been the rule and not the exception in human politics and Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see how nefarious this is just by the manipulation of one idea crystallized in a word and then diffused over time and space through language all over all these cultures. That's 3D level chess. Yeah, and the church world is largely ignorant of that. And and what I see out of this type of warfare, I discovered in the Sumerians' king list of all places the use of Chaldean numerology with its word definitions that form a language. This language actually conjures ideas which we are seeing uh, coming to bear fruit right now all related to the days of noah that jesus warned about what i found is the pre-floods king's reigns are mega thousands and thousands of years old like one is thirty-six thousand years old for example what i found is that if you add up and reduce each of the sums they all equal the number nine and nine is very significant in the occult world uh, about balance and harmony and getting back to this new world order uh, or this old world order they want where it <laughs> speaks the same language what i'm kind of piecing together they perverted the language and used it as a conjuring uh, let's just say initiation into a new mindset uh, brainwashing i don't know what else to say and that's primarily uh, what a lot of conjuring rites are they initiate through words and these words <laughs> take root in your brain for example the woke culture you can't have a sense of humor now humor yeah. is dead and you can't make fun of anything and i watched a clip from john cleese being interviewed by a woke reporter he got a, a sideline or <laughs> um, ambushed by this person and he, he, he marvelously knocked her totally out of the ballpark in about four yeah. minutes. And I thought it was brilliant. But, you know, it's like, I mean, you're talking about what about what about the people's feelings you're hurting? You're, you know, you know, you're playing on words and get to some place that doesn't exist, nor is it capable of existing without. Uh, basically, I just I don't know what else to say. It's almost like they're gunning for the collective suicide of humanity. 
Yeah. That's the only way I can put it. Well, sure. I mean, and, and, and the only reason that it can, can, I mean, logically, if, if somebody set this proposition in front of you, you know, and, and said, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to American language and culture. And, and this is what we want to accomplish with it. And it's all bad. It's like, you know, we want, we want to take away subtlety and nuance and clarity uh, and all of that out of language. Um, basically, so we can, we can, A, control you and B, cull the herd. Because that's what we like to do. We like to steal, kill, and destroy. You would say, that's absurd. There's no way that I'm accepting this proposition. But I think the way that that it makes sense, once you've been, you know, manipulated by this sort of of word magic, is the cognitive dissonance that's epiphenomenal of it. You know, now we're back to Hegelian dialectics, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Hegel, who was was a student of Hermeticism himself. Yeah. uh, Alchemy and all that. Right. So... You know, and again, alluding to Orwell, Orwell illustrates this brilliantly in 1984. They called it doublethink within the, you know, that particular world. Um, yeah, and that's that's how it, it makes sense is because it, it, it you develop unconsciously the ability to hold one thought in your mind while so- simultaneously, subconsciously holding the exact opposite thought. And sometimes that breaks out in the activity of some of these groups. Um, like I, I think Antifa is probably the worst about it because they decry everything that they really are. They yeah. say that they're anti-fascist, but they're they're the fascists. They're the fascists. They're, they're very uh, modus operandi. They're very activity. The way that they carry out their things, it's it's you know it's like you're reading Mussolini's playbook or something uh and that's what i'm talking about you 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 know there are a lot of people a lot of policymakers and bureaucrats and and um politicians within the left-leaning factions of our government who are the same way uh i mean they're on both sides of the aisle let's let's face it whether you're talking about liberals or neoconservatives you know, whatever political paintbrush they, they paint themselves with, you, you see this bleed out in, in the political arena as well. And it's 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 quite disturbing because of the impact that it has on, on our society and the populace in general, because it, it all goes back to how powerful words are and what they represent. Uh, you know, I, I started the answer to your question with, you know, Words are everything. They contain culture. They contain history. They contain nuance, behavior. It's they're the sea upon which our our ideas and ideation rest on. Uh, and so, if you can control the language, which is what advertisement, you know, ad agencies have done in conjunction with, uh, you know, arms of the government for decades. If you can control language. You can, you can control the popular culture arc. You can control large groups of people without them thinking that they're even under control. That's true. I mean, Alice Bailey was very, she channeled that very concept. Yep. Externalization of the hierarchy. I keep going back to that and was uh, seven rays, whatever. But uh, she was talking about kind of take over all the spheres of influence. She called it TV, radio, um, uh, media, uh, 
arts, entertainment, uh, mm -hmm. military, governments, you influence with these ideas in order to initiate people to basically those words conjuring mm -hmm. the mind. So you have a, a, a new mindset, you know, it's, it's really frightening. I mean, you know, Notre Dame, for example, burned down and now they're turning it into or rebuilding it back to a woke theme park. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow. And then you have the Abrahamia going on in the, and in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, they're building a synagogue, a, a church called St. Francis, and they have a mosque there. And, yeah. and it's this interfaith movement. And we right. all about saving the planet. And in the middle of that is a square. They're all shaped square cubes. And the way they're patterned, it's, it's right now in a triangle interesting and in the middle is a it's like an underground facility the education center are the people of the eye and it's, it's, it's it, it is i'm sitting there looking at the picture of what, what they're building as well as the artist rendition of it and they're doing it mm -hmm. it's like even you know pope is doing it it's like uh, what in the world i mean yeah i was about to say i mean pope francis has been redefining you know what what catholicism is in specifically but he's trying to redefine what Chris, all of christendom is in general and did did you ever think that you would see a pope who would say that well you if you don't take the or whatever we're calling it now mm -hmm. uh you might actually not be a christian or if you don't you don't monitor your carbon footprint that's not a very godly thing to do what yeah. uh and, and well and you know and, and you know let's just set aside the fact that you know he's the thoroughly second vatican council uh devotee he's got a, a trail of blood behind him in south america he's a member of the jesuits whose order specifically forbid, forbids them from holding high pontifical office mm -hmm. and so yeah there, there are definitely some strange things afoot uh in the catholic church and i'm actually kind of encouraged because there there are a lot of roman catholics that i talk to that are, are seeing through it and and looking at it and saying wait wait a minute uh so i think that there's a there's a kind of awakening that, that's taking place in the roman catholic church uh today which i think we should all be prayerful about too you sure need to be prayerful and hope the roman catholics get in and see the light because a lot of them are they're, they're the hardest people to reach i mean mm -hmm. and but if they wake up and realize that the pope ain't all that he's he's kind of gone off the deep end and they're, they're a lot of them are seeing it i hear it from a lot mm -hmm. of my catholic friends that were quite a few of them and they they're seeing it they're shaking their head and they can't believe it and what's this guy doing <laughs> yeah well i heard um just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the actor Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, um, mm -hmm. he gave a speech in which he openly criticized the Pope. He's, he's, a, he's a Roman Catholic himself, in which he openly criticized uh, a lot of the mandates and policies that, that were coming out of the Vatican. I thought, wow, um, you know, Jim's a pretty prominent guy, and I, th I mm -hmm. you know, in my heart, I, I, I think he's the real deal. You know, I, th yeah. I, I think he, he really is. And so when you see, you know, high profile, you know, Roman Catholics talking in open forum about that, that, that encourages me as mm -hmm. well, but it, it, 
boy, it is, a, it's a strange papacy. I mean, just looking at it and just, you know, just, just in terms of history of religion, it, it, it's a strange papacy. Yeah, I know. I got a few of them pointed this out to me. He says, you know, I got a, a picture of some, someone and they said, what do you think of this? And there's the Pope Francis and there's this Aztec, you know, the mother earth goddess. Uh-huh. And then he put all the earth, mother earth goddesses in the Vatican and all these statues. And then you talk about saving the planet and earth. And it's like, oof. and so a lot of the Catholic friends I know, they send me this stuff. And what, what do you think of that? <laughs> I'm glad you've seen it. Glad you pointed it out to me because I would not have even known if you would not give yeah. me a photograph. Thank you so very much. I'm thanking them for exposing what is going on in this place. Well, you know, there, there are some, um, I, th- I think, I think for a lot of, not to veer too far off subject, because this is, I, this is relevant too, I think. Um, I think the second Vatican council back in the sixties shook things up to the point, because I mean, basically that, that infused the Roman Catholic hierarchy with all kinds of socialistic value. That, that's basically what it was is Catholic Marxism. Yeah. Uh, and it threw out all of the old classical paradigms all the classical christian paradigms and so one thing i noticed is that there were there were a few autonomous catholic denominations that splintered off as as a result of that mm-hmm. uh, or at least at least increased their distance from the papacy because of that i know that one of them was the autocephalic catholic church um in western europe they they completely severed all ties with the papacy. Uh, I, I mean, they have their own, uh, you know, they have their own administrative church government, uh, but they don't report. They don't they don't have any fealty with Rome, essentially. And all the stuff, all this ecumenical stuff, all this goes back to the. I think the for, we're actually seeing the formation of a one world religion. Yeah, the absolutely. Idea, all the ideas, communication. Yeah, these great swelling words of emptiness going out there about unity, brotherhood of man, all these occult slogans going out there from, mm-hmm. <laughs> from the apostate church, from the, the, the Vatican and uh, from the liberal Muslim world, as well as Hindus and all these other people coming on board with this stuff. And it sounds so great, sounds so good. And yet they got a dagger behind their, their back. And if you don't toe the mark or toe the line, basically mm-hmm. it's curtains for you. You don't fit in. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be put out. You're going to be put down and, and everything. And anyway, I got this book back in 1994. It's called When Nations Die. Don't know if you uh-huh. know that one, by uh, Jim Nelson Black. And I, I reviewing it again and I'm going, wow, what he wrote in there is uh, what we're seeing now. And it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. And one of, uh, I think it's chapter on decline of education. He writes on page 80 about censorship in schools. And the object is to accuse and vilify Christians and other conservatives, conservatives of troublemakers in the eyes of the community. But these troublemakers are decent people like you and me. You know, we see that with the DOJ attacking um, parents. And for wanting an education and everything. And then on page 35 here, he he writes this in the book. Big government, the media, educators and university and law school professors have an agenda that is oblivious to the wishes of the American people. 
Tradition standards no longer seem to apply in that arena since these people are convinced that their task is to discredit the past and to redesign the future according to their own idealistic beliefs. And then they, he goes on to talk about this attack against the religious right and traditional values must be silenced. The silent majority suits them fine. Silence allows proponents of change to wage their own covert war on the mainstream culture and change it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, I read that, I, I this book here uh, right there. Yeah. yeah. And I put it up there on the screen. I'll put a, a screenshot up there for people. And when I got that in 1994, I borrowed some of that when I was doing a jail ministry, preaching some of the stuff in the jail. And I thought yeah. it was bad back then, but I never thought I'd see, see it to the degree and level that it is now and the sophistication of it. And it is a blatant war on the Judaic Christian system in order to, well, lack for better, better words, build it back better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's unfolding in, in real time and it's, you know, for people that are just starting to wake up to it, it's the, the, you're just trying to catch your breath because, because there's so much that's happening right now. I, you know, for me, from my perspective, I, 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 the, I, I suppose the, the close up view that I had, the closest view that I had um, to be able to kind of quantify this was from my perspective as a teacher and a professor, you know, just watching watching the education system combust from the inside, you know, and then, and then realizing that it was, that it was by design, you know, that it it wasn't just that it's bad enough that, uh, that American education has sort of become a laboratory for testing the latest educational theory, which annoyed me to no end. Um, But those experiments were part of the, the changing of curricula the the shifting of emphases in curricula to accomplish what we're watching right now and you know we graduate more and more students from both high schools and colleges who cannot cannot think critically who can't write who can't do basic math uh and it's all you know it's all been by design Mm -hmm. uh to do that when you when you look at you know, how far the United States has fallen just in terms of how we compete educationally with a lot of other nations. Well, it's not just that, that they're, you know, those other systems, many of which still rest on classical pedagogy. It's not just that they're novel, they're clearly superior. And the techniques that have, have been gradually introduced and, and values behind them in American education from K-12 all the way through higher education have gutted the educational process for the most part and training everybody to live in that metaverse world right because you won't need to i mean it, that it'll, it'll all be passive right you're just yeah. you're, you're just uh you're uh, you're a recipient of, of this uh virtual reality you know basically that they want us to be living in yeah it kind of reminds me i i, I kind of like these old shows i like to the movie the matrix matrix you know sure. the guy in the pod and you have the what was really fascinating was one of my favorite sci-fi things the sci-fi always kind of points to the future was the, the newer series the 2000 year, year edition of the new battlestar galactica 
uh-huh. and they had the Cylons and they would s- sit in their pod and regenerate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they had a TV show after it that kind of flopped because they just started dragging out the plot line a little too long. But it was the history of how the Cylons came into being and it came into being by a, uh, a meta world computer game. Uh-huh. And they would put their selves, I'm not kidding, the idea was that you put yourself in this metaverse world with this metaverse character, and mm-hmm. those characters became the Cylons, and then you had the final 12, who were the epitome of the new humanity. This is so occultic, it's, it's unbelievable, the philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, the final 12, you have the the top seven, you know, <laughs> the mm-hmm. seven who decree and all, you know, all these roles of ancient pagan gods and stuff. You have, yeah. I see number I, six I, would be, uh, she would be uh, Ishtar for lack of a better uh-huh. word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing how some of these authors were able to prognosticate mm-hmm. uh, and comment on, you know, I think about, uh, although, although I think it has its faults, the new um the new dune adaptation you know frank herbert's novel dune uh, i've always been a huge fan of of the the book series and the backstory to that is is that thousands of years before uh, the events that transpire in the movie in the book humanity just becomes so completely apathetic that they have technology and machines and artificial intelligence doing everything for them and so they're not learning anything. They're just sort of passive recipients. They're they're jaded and hedonistic. And what ends up happening? Well, the small groups of technocrats that own these these corporations that created the thinking machines is what Her- Herbert called them, but artificial intelligence and robots. They use all of that to enslave humanity. Um, and by this point in time, humanity had sort of you know started to settle in other systems outside of outside of the Terran system but you know I mean that's we're looking at that process happening right now I'm like how how in the world do people like Orwell and Herbert and uh H.G. Wells and and Huxley and uh 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 uh, Ray Bradbury and all these guys how how do they you know how do they how do they divine this stuff you've got this connective tissue, these, these, these themes that are running all through it. And um, anyway, it's one of the things, it's one of the conversations I wish people were having about that movie right now, uh, but nobody seems to want to talk about that. But. Well, I think there is some sort of influence from the beyond is what I'm thinking is. Uh, cl- yeah, clearly, clearly because it's all guiding in the same direction, almost the same plan. And I like Alice, Adelis Huxley's uh, Brave New World. Mm-hmm. They had they had Soma. Now we have Metaverse. <laughs> right. Or fill in the blank, you know, with what, I mean, there's so many very, you know, take your Soma and, and go back into your trance. Yeah. Um, or, and, you know, you'd be a good, uh, what was it? Uh, a, you have A class, B class, C class, you know, be a little purple people or whatever. You know, you know, the little worker bees, everybody's happy. Right. And this, this, and, you know, and what, one thing that really struck me with George Orwell and all these guys, even Battlestar Galactica, uh-huh. they have to have an enemy. There's always mm-hmm. an enemy. And so in Orwell's book, they had imaginary enemy and they blew up their own cities to mm-hmm. justify, get people in fear of something in order to maintain their control. 
I watched a, a movie and um, it was called 1944. It's about the Estonians and, and World War II. So this uh, NKVD chief, uh, the Soviet Union was in charge there, the political officer. And the Estonians caught some uh, people, uh, Germans who, who just kids, you know, 16, 15 year olds trying to escape and go back home. And he ordered this guy to shoot him. He says, you must fear the Soviet Union. I'm teaching you to fear the Soviet Union, I'm fear the communism. And so uh, one of the guys in the crew shot <laughs> the, the guy and got rid of him. But I'm telling you, that's the old, they have to have an enemy to fight. And so uh, what I did some research on and I'm still writing and trying to get it all put together here is that the world's elites, you know, they, they have a playbook. You can download mm -hmm. their load their playbooks all over the place. And yeah. one of the things they say is they have to make an enemy. So they make the enemy of, of Christians and all that's decent and good. And they have to build it back better. And they're, and they're like, uh, like, like uh, Mr. Black said in the nation's die book is, you know, you are going to go to war against the American people and get rid of the, uh, what did Alice Bailey say? The re reactionary forces, get rid mm -hmm. of them or convert them. If you don't, you get rid of them, but you always have to have this enemy to fight because that makes people easily controllable. If it's an imaginary enemy or whatever. So in the metaverse world that, that I was looking at and doing some research, you know, you can, Basically, it's not fully developed yet by a long shot, but basically the idea is a lot of it in the matrix is that you can you can play. And so you can get your anger and aggression out without hurting mm -hmm. anybody. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, we, we're, these, these sort of proxy enemies are are created, you know, you could you could argue that the, that the current situation we're in right now is one of those. You know, we've 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 created the uh pandemic as it's referred mm -hmm. to in some circles you know we've 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 created this obfuscatedly defined enemy you know out, out of this you know what's clearly a manufactured or at least a, an altered mm -hmm. and that you know i mean that's got fear and panic written all over it you know it, it's it's but we, we, you know, we've we've done that with, we've done that with terrorism. We've done it with drugs. We've done, you know, these proxy enemies. You know, you're you're right. They they make it, they make it easy to direct the focus of of large groups of people, and sort of get them on board. You know, by the means we've been talking about today on the program. These are mm -hmm. occult ma magic means using language, and I, I think that there have been stages not just in the world, but in the United States too, there have been stages that have sort of experimented with our, our populace um, just to see how far that they could push it, you know, and they did it with things like, like terrorism and with drugs. And now they're using a, but what happens when the shift becomes, and I think this is a transition that we're starting to see too, and back to your point, what happens when the shift goes, the shift takes place from these proxy enemies to real people. And there are, you know, like na naming, 
you know, right wingers and Christians as terrorists, you know, well, now that now that now it's not a proxy enemy. Now it's not a, you know, made up sort of thing. It's it's actually something that directed intentions and orders can be handed down to go after, you know, which is, a, a again, there's there's a precedent for this in virtually every tyrannical regime that's existed on the planet. Yeah, and add to that, one other thing that Daniel mentions in Daniel chapter 12 is yes. he talked about uh, uh, be knowledge increasing and people running to and fro. So I just did a little Hebrew digging and research, you know, there's different ways to interpret there. I, I think it's just a, an open-ended type of interpretation. And yeah, knowledge, basic knowledge and education stuff will, you know, people get smarter. <laughs> I look at mm -hmm. the world, they're getting dumber, but you know, that's, that's, I digress with that. But um, mm -hmm. when you look at it, uh, running to and fro expresses being frantic. And if you throw too much data, and you mentioned this earlier, too much data at somebody uh, at all at once, you can't handle it. You need a respite. You need a rest. You need a, mm -hmm. a break. And that's a form of brainwashing is to overwhelm mm -hmm. your senses with knowledge and data. That's what that is saying. And so you mm -hmm. run frantic and you're easily controllable. So at the time of the end, people will be so much data thrown at them to look for a rest. They can't find it. They get frantic. And then the totalitarians take over and they put you in your metaverse cage. Mm -hmm. And so you can rest. You find peace and safety. And I mean, the Bible is just coming a, a very much alive right now. Yeah. It, it really is. When I read it and I was going, wow, we're seeing so much of this. And all these people are actually open about it now. And it's so easy to find out of their own documentation their own words and the world economic forum is a, is a hot bed of that stuff. And yeah. They don't hide it. I mean, you can, like you say, you can download their white papers. I have. Can, yeah. <laughs> I use it for my yeah, I know. I know you have. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, anybody can go on, on the internet and download these, these things and, you know, read them for themselves. And that's, that's what irritates me about when people call this conspiracy theory, and I'm thinking about this as a, you know, as a scholar, mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, yes. you know, with some variation, this is the same general sort of training that I got in all of the historiography seminars I had. What do we do as historians? We follow the documents. Yes. They're out there, you know, and, and taken together, they make compelling arguments. It's not, you know, it's, there's another example of vilification you know, mm -hmm. creating enemies is, you know, it's easy to write things off by saying that, well, so-and-so is a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but that also all goes back to how we have completely jettisoned basic logic, basic philosophical logic. Yes. And, you know, it, it's like the old axiom from, uh, from our, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle when, when Sherlock Holmes says, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, yeah, basically when you finished your investigation, if you've eliminated the impossible, whatever you're left with, however improbable it seems, must be the truth. Yes, yes. And I mean, I, I guess it's because I'm a student of history. I've been that way all my all my life. You know, I was, uh, I was born to partial cleft palate. You know, I had to overcome mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And then I was, you know, put behind a, a year because of that. And then in elementary school my fifth and sixth grade teacher was well, the same teacher but she said 
she didn't know how to get me to learn anything. So she got me a book or uh, a scholastic reader on, on history. I fell uh -huh. in love with it. <laughs> sure. And then I, and I loved the research. And so I, you know, I learned about stuff from, I mean, Bullwinkle cartoons. It was, you know, the Simon and the dog and the time machine. And so I'd go back, I go to the library and I'd be reading philosophy books to find out who is Plato, who is Aristotle. And mm -hmm. so, and then when I was in, in going to elementary school and junior high and high school, we were educated to think critically. Sure. And, the, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, in college, it, you know, I, got, I went back much later. I was trying to get back in the, in the late night or early 1980s is when I was trying mm -hmm. to go back. But I decided to, you know, go into business for myself at that time. Sure. I did. But um, I went back later after I got married in, in, in the 90s and the whole educational system shifted to I was, I was, I was battling Marxism. Yeah. And, and I would actually go in there and I would uh, to a Marxist professor in sociology telling me that the benefits of Keynesian economics and collectivism. And so I just said, well, um, I, you know, so I asked him, what does Marxism offer anybody? He said they offer us ideas. I said, ideas can't feed you. Yeah. <laughs> he laughed. You know, he I only got bad grade from one marxist professor because i stated that there was a definite difference between male and female uh -huh. and i got canned for that and yeah. worked real hard for a c but it's this and these are the same you know ilk of people who are telling us to follow the science today and yet they there's that same sort of gender flexibility that they hold to which has no scientific basis whatsoever but whatever you know yeah, whatever and it's i look at all this stuff and yeah it's, and they want to paint everything as conspiracy theory but some conspiracies are true you know people certainly and all through i did this research and i can find it in the halls of congress from the 40s all the way up to close to the current date where people were warning warning and warning about the stuff some of the people died mm -hmm. um mysteriously and so forth etc and then you read David Rockefeller and mm -hmm. open about the new world order and there um, and Papa Bush and George Bush all open yeah. about this stuff. And it's like, oh, my, I mean, you have the yin and yang fighting each yeah. other, you know, they're, you're, they're, yeah, they're and your, your initial, <laughs> your initial, at least my initial response was just complete, you know, revulsion. Like, you know, you wanted to like throw up, yeah. uh, you know, because you, I, I I consider myself a patriot. I, I, I love this country. I do. But, you know, you, you get a kind of rose colored, you know, glossy version of, of how things are, you know, growing up. And then and then to have your bubble burst, uh, not just because of what's happened in our own country, but you learn about you learn about the fallen state of man and how susceptible we are to corruption and, and sin and vice and things like that. And and certainly the these things have happened in civilizations and societies throughout you know human history uh you know that moment of revelation is kind of jarring and you know well it's like you know to use another allusion to a movie it's like the matrix it's it's when they like when they pull neo out of the, out of his little his his uh uh cocoon <laughs> amniotic cradle where he was yeah. you know powering the machines or whatever mm -hmm. it was a jolt to the system 
but the the truth has a, a it also has a freeing power all, mm-hmm. all of its own i think that that's what jesus meant that you know the truth and the truth will make and you the free truth will set you free that's exactly jesus right this is the truth the way and the light you know so that's right he helps you see this stuff and puts it together well and i think that's why a lot of the church fathers in in developing christian education married their ideas to the classics because they saw i think it was clement that said that um there were some members of his church asking well what is you know these pagans have all this philosophy you know and you know what, what good does that you know does that do us in the end and uh i can't remember what exactly what he, he says something like uh, gold in the pocket of a thief is still gold in other words there are things that are that are articulated in the scriptures by jesus and the disciples and everybody else mm-hmm. in the scriptures uh that's that are thematically echoed in in the philosophies of other cultures and i think that's why you know like even to this day uh homeschoolers and and christian academies you know use that that trivium system uh that pe- that people like the early church and and alcoin and charlemagne's court uh put together because because it married christian values with that that system of education uh that worked and has worked for centuries and we've we've completely done away with that uh we have no to initiate people (laughs) to initiate people that's right because you you don't want thinking people if you want large group if you want large groups of people decide with you for some nefarious purpose and not have any moral compunction about it you don't want to be teaching them to think critically no not at all (laughs) nope not at all but i was i was looking at one other thing and um you know you talked about history and so i'm gonna go back and one thing i learned about history is to look at it with a critical eye and there is no perfect country there's no perfect tribe there's no you know it doesn't matter everybody has the same sin and they do the same things oppress Mm -hmm. people take their land and property but what i find nefarious is from all the way back from i would say when Cain flew abel on up to current date is the the it seemed like there was a class of people that was always behind the scene they were i call them the great men merchants of the earth for lack for a better term and, uh-huh. and they would help control the government and they would be in cahoots with each other they would make the government rich and they would scratch each other's back and so in all these groups of people, just to make a long story short, would uh, intermingle and marry each other, but then they would fight each other to get natural resources from an unconquerable land, and then they put their people in place. And so you have this perpetual war mode going on. And, yes. And then, then you go to this part that I'm getting to through vast amounts of ancient history to modern history where you have the kings and the bloodlines and all that. And all these people were fighting their uncles and aunts and cousins, and then they got tired of it, and they came up with the League of Nations, making a long story short, that let's get rid of war. This liberal world order I'm talking about, the liberal world order. And Uh so we can figure out how to conquer the world. And so, and all that stuff. So when I go back and I go back and investigate the documents, and, I, and, I, and the best example, there's two examples, I, and I'm going to use one is the Boxer Rebellion. Sure. In China. Yeah. 
uh, all, 1900. All, yeah, all these robber baron types finance Christian missionaries to go into China. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just a matter of public record. And they, they did. And I looking at that, I go, there's something, you know, they, they use Christians as a shield to go exploit while they exploit the land. The Christians mm -hmm. got blamed for exploiting the land and, and enslaving people. Mm -hmm. And they, the robber barons got away with bloody murder. Right. And, and it's like, <laughs> I'm going this. And so the native people would rebel, not so much against the Christians, but they were the only ones they could go after. And then they, yeah. they, these robber barons are so bloodthirsty, thirsty, ruthless, is that they use the murder of the Christians to justify sending their armies in there to crush the rebellion in order to sure. take, take more land. They did sure. it in the Philippines. Uh, you know, the, in the Spanish American war, they, uh, they did. It's, it yeah. It's why people, I mean, it, it's, it's, incredible. it's, it's why we, yeah. It, for the Pacific at that time, it's why we created the open door policy. It was, it was an open door. All right. And, you know, send the Christians first to win the po yeah, exactly. population. So they get hurt yeah. and murdered and yeah. uh, support them, finance them, and then, then use them as a shield that you can hide behind. So you don't get caught. <laughs> yeah and, and ulti ultimately you know it, it's it's the people like the christian missionaries and it, it was the people like the the you know the chinese that belong to like the iho chuan you know all, mm -hmm. all the martial societies and the just the people in china in general that ended up suffering because of it you know it's yeah. just bloodshed and human sacrifice yeah and it was when i kept finding it's almost like you said human sacrifice it seemed like that was the purpose i couldn't put my john hancock on that but yeah. it seemed like it was this was a, like a bloodiest it was like they a bloodlust in these people in order to ass, assage their worship or whatever they were worshiping us you know and i find out yeah, that most well, of them are involved in the occult world anyway so it makes well sense and that that, that was part of I, I think that was part of the tragedy because the iho chuan were basically gung fu mm -hmm. practitioners of one sort or another and they had they held to a kind of mystical belief that their cause was so so just that the bullets of this coalition force that in, included, um, you know, this is before the League of Nations even, you know, it, it, but it included uh, Americans, it included the British. There were, I think there were, there were other European nations that mm -hmm. sent forces as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, I mean, these poor guys literally thought that the bullets would just bounce off of them, you know, while they did their Kung Fu. Well, that's not how it happened. Mm -hmm. um and it, it was a you know on both sides it really was kind of a human sacrifice yeah it was and what what did it do but perpetuate the the drug trade and and at the end of the day it's these robber barons you know that that are making money hand over fist over the whole thing mm -hmm. but that's what they you know i mean war has always been a way for them to generate money anyway mm -hmm. you know that's why we we've We've been in an ever war, you know, since the beginning of the last century. Mm -hmm. And and that very narrative about the bullets bouncing off people were found in the in the Lakota tribe, and the, and and led up to Wounded Knee as well. Yes, uh, the the Ghost Dance movement. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you have that mindset that predates the Boxer Rebellion that we we're talking about. Yeah, and this this it, it's almost like something in. Well, there was. We know what it is. Principalities and powers of darkness that are right, manipulating right. this, giving these people these ideas, and they're all consistent. 
they're very consistent and this thing about you know getting the bulletproof or arrow proof goes all the way back you know just yeah. sort of a cyclic thing at certain points in history and it always led to a brutal massacre of lots of people <laughs> absolutely yeah it's a historical invariant mm-hmm. and it's just you know you know like I do not know why that a lot of seminaries now do not want to teach spiritual warfare or that Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 is even real. And yet you have the evidence of this all over the place in history. It is it's so, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, you and I both know that that's a, those are epiphenomenal conditions mm-hmm. based on materialism and naturalism, you know. Yeah. seeping into postmodern modernism affecting our, our seminaries and colleges but that's the that's another guise that the enemy has clever cleverly used in the modern age is this you know this camouflage of of science which sounds scientific but it's really not science at the end of the day but it, it's under the it's under this cloak of naturalism that this this occult agenda uh, is is executed and carried out it is and boy and then i i could go in and we have to do another show i guess i'm talking about the yeah yeah let's do it the the invasion of the educational system our invasion of the seminaries as i call mm-hmm. it because it is it is an invasion uh and they i mean they put several moves into the seminaries one is a hyper intellectualism where everything is taken the supernatural is removed in order to produce a rebellion within the church to go with the signs and wonders Mm -hmm. it's the occult signs and wonders not the real deal but the occult version right in order to bring the church into a universal ecumenical one world religion Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah we have to come back and do that but we probably should wrap it up right now and and get people prepared for the next show if you're interested we can set something up and do that sure and everything so yeah um before we close here is there any uh like uh things that you're doing now that you like to tell people about uh, also I'll, I'll also put your contact information on screen here sure on the end, but how to contact you as well as any new books or ideas or papers you have out that people and also yeah. to get a contact with you and also about um everything that you do sure well you know on, on that note um in terms of picking up the slack you know where the old old academic machines have sort of dropped the ball that's part of the reason that i got out of academia you know god called me out in the first place was to to create a different kind of scholarly community and so through the institute of biblical anthropology i i teach classes that that emphasize the supernatural element of the biblical narrative and I, I i keep i try and keep them at a at a reasonable rate you know easily absorbable kind of stuff still reading heavy you still get the academic rigor but this is to equip people for the age and so i've got several certification programs i pick up new students every week and i've, I've got a deal uh this week where students can sign on for 105 dollars for the 12 course program and they also get five ebook copies of my original uh, five of my original works um and so if people are interested they can they can contact me the sale may end by the time you air this but if they if they just send me an email you know telling me that that they heard it on your show i'll be happy to give them the sale price 
uh, when they do that. And um, I've got a couple of book projects in the works. One is a, a, a commentary on John's letters, finishing up a paper with Doug Van Dorn on uh, the Serpent Mound of Bashan, uh, which is a, another uh, kind of interesting thing. We could probably do a whole show on that too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's there's lots of moving parts, lots going on. And if people are interested in any of that, they can contact me at Professor Burton at yahoo.com. I just suggest that if you're listening, please uh, check that out and maybe uh, take some of these classes and courses and stuff and get yourself a real education. <laughs> um, really, I mean, the more I more I involved in the Bible and the more I study, the more I study history. The correlation of the biblical narrative is seen in history uh, is, is playing out. I'm, I'm amazed at the wisdom of God and how he can put all these connections together and bring and work through all this and come out on top at the end. It just, it, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing. He wins. Right. <laughs> Every right. And we, I mean, we, and we have the window in, into that plan. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, we have the scriptures, you know, that's, it, it plugs that narrative into the, the larger context of, of world history. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that day and he comes back riding on that white horse, it's, it's going to be a glorious day. Absolutely. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you came on today. We'll try to set up another time and we can do some other of these things that we just talked about, because I think the listeners would like to hear this. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off now and everybody be blessed in Jesus name. Want any last comments, Dr. Burton? Uh, just farewell and Godspeed. Amen. With that, be sure to check out Dr. Burton's website seen on the screen. And with that, folks, just know that censorship is real because there will come a time when the censorship will get so hard that you'll have to go to websites like Josh Peck's or other sites in order to get content like this okay so just consider becoming a member of the day also look at your screen and you'll see my contact information if you'd like to help me out and support me all my contact information is on there as well as my book title as well you can help support me by my book you can help support me by paypal account and stuff that is on that screen right now before your eyes with that, I want to ask you all to be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.